Guys, we're back. It's been been a little bit. Lots of things have uh, happened, haven't happened, are, are waiting for it to, to happen. We're waiting for a shoe to drop. We'll get we'll get into it. Obviously, this is the Bloom Night Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Alongside me, as always, Robert Stieg and our beautiful podcast producer, Anthony Vito. How you guys been since the last time we spoke? How have, How's the last couple of months been treating you guys? Can't complain. Hey, we're still here. Uh, it's April. We're we're vaccinated, fully uh, fully vaccinated at this point when this uh, podcast is out. So we're uh, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Outside of that, it's been a very busy spring season at USF for athletics. I don't know how the grounds team, how all the SIDs, how they have done it, but I'm just gonna say kudos to them because it's been a very very busy season. It has. It it definitely has, and I uh, will say their their boss is on furlough until uh next week so they're they're doing it even further shorthanded so that's uh something else right there i guess they had to wait until after spring game to to furlough the big boss but it's uh it's been nuts steve what about yourself how, how have things been not much of the same De- vaccinated i waited in line for seven hours in the blistering florida sun to uh, get the johnson and johnson vaccine two weeks early kind of worth it now that I'm seeing that people can just like kind of walk up to the, uh, to the vaccination sites and, and get theirs now, but, and I got it over with and done. And now I can, uh, reenter society. I can lick doorknobs again. It's great. The floor at McDitton's tastes just as good as it did before. It was wonderful, but no, it, it's nice to like kind of have that little bit of over looming dread kind of lifted, you know, obviously we're still in the midst of it and you know, the cases are, are where they're at and everything, but you know, it's nice to do your part and, and get us one step closer towards normalcy again. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Olivia had her first uh, sleepover in over a year last night with uh, my best friend who was our former podcast uh, sponsor. Uh, him and his wife are vac- fully vaccinated. We're fully vaccinated. We, uh, we hung out last night and it was a, uh, you know, first time hanging out inside of a house in over a year. So it was, it was really cool and, and nice and one step at a time. Must remain vigilant. Samantha was at Target today and there was a, a Karen claiming because she was vaccinated, she still didn't have to wear a mask in public. That was fun to deal with for her, I'm sure. Yeah, one step closer. But let's get let's get right into it because we've got a lot to cover. First things first. There's a new WWE Raw Tag Team Champion. And why are we even talking about it right now? Well, it's because the Giants, Omas, former USF men's basketball player, Jordan Amagian, is a world champion. Woo! Hang the banner. Look at that. I mean, between the, the 1990, uh, was it Metro Conference? or I think it was Metro Conference. It was Metro, which we should just call the American again because the Metro Conference is a better name for a conference. Yeah, Metro Conference uh, title, conference title. I mean, that's 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 a pinnacle for men's basketball at this point. So shout out to him. Her WrestleMania was great at Ray J, and now they're at the Union Center uh, going at it at their makeshift Thunderdome. Uh, after moving from the trot uh, due to you know baseball season starting, so it'll be it'll be fun to uh, you know have wrestling in, in Tampa and inside the Yingling Center for probably for a while. 
I don't think they're going to be having live shows uh, too, too often unless it's a, a major event. So I will say I did watch that match and almost is okay. They build him at seven, three, 400 pounds. So we'll go with that. It's a very large man. And he um, pretty much beat up brand new day or uh, the new day. I'm sorry virtually single-handedly so tag team match with aj styles but he uh he grabbed uh kofi just pretty mm-hmm. much he jumped up and he uh just grabbed him by the arm and uh the pinning was he he lifted him up above his head so we're talking like eight feet in the air just slammed him down and then just pinned him with one foot he um obliterated the new day for that and that was his first ever match as well as his first ever wrestlemania so congrats that's pretty cool yeah it's awesome and you know He'd been kind of working toward this. I know he was work. He was working with like Triple H or something like that prior to becoming a tag team partners with uh, with AJ Styles. I think last October. So it's nice to see the payoff, and you know, it's it's fun to fun to see some uh, some championships uh, from you know semi related to men's basketball. So it'll be fun. Good for him. He's he was like seven three, like three thirty playing basketball. So like four hundred pounds isn't out of the realm of possibility. Uh, so he, he looked like a very large man and just, yeah, he's a big dude. And even if it was a, you know, his persona or whatever, he just looked mean just the way that he was, he was composed himself. Like, whew. I mean, I, I, th- I think he did a great job as a wrestler too. I mean, I'm looking forward to see what his career is uh, with or without AJ styles, obviously, at least during this iteration with the tag yeah. title, but it'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, just interesting to say that, a uh, former USF basketball player performing his first WrestleMania at the home of USF football. And uh, then we'll be also performing at the home of USF basketball, at the Yingling center from on raw. It's just, it's yeah. wild. Full, full circle moments uh, all around. And that's the fun part of men's basketball in this podcast, because I think since we last spoke, there's been an investigation into uh, some racially charged comments made by assistant coach, Tom Aaron. I think we're closing in on a little over a month or just about no resolution quite yet. The only resolution that we've seen is uh, seven players have transferred out of the program. Some we expected like David Collins, Justin Brown, who got that extra year due to COVID to, to transfer out. We figured Alexis Chetna would either go pro or use the extra year somewhere else. But then you get Xavier Castaneda and Michael Durr transfer out. And like, well, that was less than ideal. Um, a dude, a catch, uh, catch uh, transferred out. And it seems uh, like he was uh, one of the focal points at the racially charged comments made by Heron, allegedly. It's so, some of the comments that were supposedly made were, were less than ideal. Running from the cops, run harder like you're running from the cops, making comments uh, about the black players on the team's hair, uh, their hairstyle. You know, some of the things you can't can't do and you should not do just ever as any anyone really. And it's kind of really setting back this program uh, from where it was a year and a half ago. Shit, even before this season, I would say. I think there were better expectations of what would happen and it just never came to fruition. Thoughts on on what's kind of transpired, next steps. Seems like Brian Gregory's uh, gonna escape. Things uh, seems like due to everything. Haven't haven't heard anything else about about his status yet. We haven't heard anything about Tom Heron's status yet. Frankly, it was quite a weird 
unexpected thing to happen, especially with all of the advancements and it's, you know, apples to apples, but, or apples to oranges, but, you know, for all the progress that our men's football team did off the field through all of the, um, you know, the, the racial protests um, that were going on last year, it, it was a weird juxtaposition of lack of support by a coaching staff. Uh, it, it appeared by, you know, Tom Harry and, and some of the comments that he made, but, you know, it, I, I think what's ending up happening is USF got caught in a weird crossfire of this racially insensitive stuff was happening um, by one of our assistant coaches. Um, and according to some of the um, sources that I've been able to procure, it sounded like a lot of these players were looking to transfer prior to the season, even starting a lot of them were looking at transferring basically after the season got canceled last year. And, and I think this was, this kind of stuff just kind of broke, broke the camel's back. And, you know, we lost some good players to the portal now and it's kind of disheartening to see, but you know, if there, if there's any silver lining that, I, that I can kind of say, it's that this is not exclusively happening to USF where they're losing their entire roster. This is happening everywhere. You know, obviously USF is in this crossfire, you know, the racially insensitive stuff was happening, but if you look across the country, as of today, there are over 1,300 names in the transfer portal for Division One basketball. That's a lot. That is, I think, double what it was last year. And last year was, well, prior to the COVID starting. That I mean, it's it's taking its effect on the game. Everyone's getting that free year, and everyone's wanting to, you know, try to explore and, and see if the grass is greener on the other side. And this is happening from programs that are at the bottom and are bottoming out, you know, programs like USF, unfortunately, ECU lost Jaden Gardner and it happened at Memphis. They lost three of their starters. You know, there there's, it's happening everywhere. There's, right. I think maybe a handful of programs that are not seeing this kind of transition. Houston, I, I think has lost like two or three transfers. It's, it's happening everywhere. Everyone wants to see if the grass is greener elsewhere. And what's going to end up happening is half these schools are going to end up having to recruit at a high school in Juco. And then the other half are going to look at that transfer portal and say, Hey, you know, these guys have experience. I can, I can change the style here. So that's basically what's happening with USF. They brought in four guys so far, one Juco player from Triton college, and then three D one transfers, including uh, Jake Boggs, who's, you know, a three point player, Patrick Hines from, from Juco. Sam Hines. Uh, DJ oh, Sam Hines, DJ Patrick. I've confused their names so many times. And then uh, Javon green from, from George Mason. So you know, depending on what Brian Gregory and, and, you know, the new assistant coaches wanting to do, they can completely change the style of USF basketball for next year, which is, I think what we're all looking that probably needs to happen anyways. So, right. Yes. This is bad to have eight guys transfer out nine. If you count Zach Dawson, but at least we have a bevy of players to look and bring into the program at least. Exactly. And that's, I think, I mean, it obviously things are never in a vacuum, but in a vacuum, this is literally happening everywhere across the country. I think Florida lost, a bunch of guys, Kentucky, uh, some of these top teams, uh, what, Florida was what, an Elite Eight, Sweet 16 team? or I mean, they were a tournament team, and they're, they're losing guys. It's not something exclusive. And I will say, prior to the news coming out about Tom Aaron, I was talking to a source close to the program, and they just kind of laid it out. Over the next two to three years, teams are going to be having to fill five, six, seven scholarship slots due to transfer students due to this rule that 
technically hasn't been approved yet where you get the one free transfer, but it seems to be going that way where you're going to find guys just transferring for just to see if they can play at a higher level, right? You mentioned Jaden Gardner from ECU. He's now at Virginia. He committed today, committed on Monday, I should say. That kid can play at the ACC level. You, you've got to be able to, to see that. That's a high you know, ACC high. level too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, Alexis Shedna is playing at Seton Hall. I mean, Big East, like that's frankly a, a higher level. I, I, I understand that. Xavier Castaneda is going to Akron. Justin Brown's at UAB. I believe Justin Brown's from, he's, I believe he's from Alabama. So that makes a lot of sense to kind of go back home for your last year, play in front of your family. That, that makes a lot of, you know, hopefully be able to play in front of your family. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Michael Durr is at Virginia Tech. That's right. I yeah. totally forgot about that. Michael Durr at Virginia Tech. <laughs> I mean. I, I, and I want to say like more power to the players. I'm 100% okay with the, the thought of it's it, when it, when this happened early before the news of what the assistant coach said, it was very much like everyone's going to go test the waters and you never know. Maybe it's just, Hey, I've been at one place for two or three years. I want to go somewhere else. Maybe I want to go back home. Maybe I want to try something different. You have a chance to do something. And basketball is probably one of the sports you can move quickly and then also get good playing time at. Whereas, right. you know, football, you're, you're learning a system and sometimes it might take some time to get in there. But with men's basketball, if you have a set of skills, you can go and translate that at a different spot. It's definitely okay to go ahead and try that. And everyone is with the free transfer rule. You don't have to worry about sitting out. You don't have to worry about any of that stress. It's just how much, and I, it just, when you have these, this information so public and not having any sort of announcement coming out of what's happened or what is happening or what's going on. Obviously you're having commits come in. So Brian Gregory isn't going anywhere. This isn't as big as we're cleaning house, but it's how many of the transfers are related to these incidents? How much of the, you know, post COVID swoon was related to these incidents. Those things we don't know. We probably will never know, but you know, the hope is that you can kind of create some sort of stability because the last thing you want is, for anything to be repeated or anything to, to stop people from wanting to come because, Hey, there's these problems going on and they weren't really addressed. Exactly. It's that that's something that we're, we're, I mean, we're going to have to wait until the results of the investigation play out. We hear, you know, one way or another, if, if Heron's back or not, it doesn't seem like he will be. It seemed for some reason, you know, I'd heard a week and a half ago that he was already out, that they were just waiting on the announcement we haven't heard anything since. So what could be at play here? Is there something more? Are they just waiting? Is the investigation taking longer than they thought it would with, you know, the players in question, maybe kind of dispersing throughout the country, uh, you know, back to their respective, you know, hometowns or, you know, to their new college. Who knows what's going on right now, right? It's got to let it play out. I trust Michael Kelly to make the right decision. And it, from again, from everything that we've seen, you know, Brian Gregory, I think he took like a week off from tweeting and then he's back at it, you know, tweeting about other USF sports. And I don't think he would do that unless he had some assurances that yes, he will be part of the you know future of men's basketball. Tom here mm-hmm. hasn't tweeted since I believe uh, March 10th. He's, he's liked a bunch of stuff on Twitter, but nothing either way. I mean, it's just it's just like a lot of Joe Osteen and, and John Gordon and, you know, 
your standard basketball people. I, I will say it's one of those things like having Michael Kelly as the AD. I will trust every decision he's made until there's reason not to. But I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if he says we're full speed ahead, I fully trust that the whole situation was vetted appropriately. So mm-hmm. I, I think that we, you know, we're still good. And uh, to Steve's point, yeah, maybe last season. And I'm, I'm one to say that anything you see in this 2020 season at any sport, take with a grain of salt because pandemic and you have no idea what the heck was going on behind the scenes, but he can now go ahead and say these players left. So now I can go ahead and change a system or change to fit what I want with different players. So we could see something different. Yeah, it could be something very similar, but you never know. But it's it's interesting to be able to pretty much bring in a whole new roster when everyone else is also essentially doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, I think for the last, God, probably decade longer than that, it's USF basketball has been defense and a rock fight on offense, right? That's mm-hmm. been the, the MO for, you know, since the tournament run in 2012, that's what it was. It was just play really, really good defense, create turnovers, get fast break points, hit a couple threes, just grind out these wins. And, you know, over a decade of that as a fan can get draining and you see, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor, these, you know, high flying teams that can, you know, put up points with the best of them. It's things are changing in college basketball. And I think some of the systems need to change uh, unless you're like Tony Bennett at Virginia and you can win playing, you know, 45 to 38 games. Like we get it. Like it's unfortunate that that system won a national championship because it's just going to probably harden people into doing that again. But God, it's not fun basketball. It's it, it, it's hard to watch, especially when you're not a you know a quote unquote basketball school. It's hard to, hard to get right. people in, and especially when the women are are high flying and exactly score a bunch of points and they're exciting. It's like oh well, how come we can't? Now I do understand the rock fight keeps you in games and keeps gives you a chance to win. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see that. But you know, I'm interested to see what we can do with the rest of the portal and to see how the rest of the situation plays out. Exactly, and I, I wish I had some more information. I just I. I know what I know, and I, I think I've accurately described what's kind of gone on. What, again, week and a half ago, he was gone. Aaron was gone, and we were moving on. And there's been some sort of holdup, from what I understand, or just reading the tea leaves there. It seems like there's a holdup. So we'll we'll wait to see what kind of plays out. If anything comes out, you know, maybe they're waiting until Brian gets back to, you know, the head communications guy, because I'm sure there's going to be some crap that comes down. So, you know, Maybe on the 18th, the uh, you know things get moving again. It's it's tough to you know kind of put this kind of announcement on uh, assistant communications director. And um, you know, spring is historically busy. I mean, you see Michael Kelly's all over the place, and yeah. I mean, I don't know how the you know it, it all works out there. How shorthanded they are with any you know like athletic department furloughs or anything that's been going on. But you know, for all we know, that's part of the process as well. Exactly. So just let it play out. I, I think we need to. If it gets swept under the rug, then we can erase some stuff. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's just, I think Michael Kelly's being very thorough and making sure, you know, I's are dotted, T's are crossed before he does anything because that's just the kind of person he is. So we'll see what happens. We'll move on from it. We'll figure out what's next in that program. And when we do, we'll, we'll discuss it and what the, what could be next, you know, I, racism aside i think it could be an interesting year for men's basketball if they get it figured out culture wise and 
they've got to make sure that the, the players that are in there now understand, the coaches understand that this sort of thing's not going to be tolerated anymore. And you, you're seeing it across the country. It happened at Creighton. Like, I mean, the coach suspended for, for a game. I don't think the same kind of issues at Cincinnati are going on with John Brennan, who just got fired for cause before their investigation was fully completed. And that's something that I think USF wants to wait on because now they're getting countersued for the $5 million buyout because the University of Cincinnati acknowledged that the investigation wasn't completed while also firing their head coach. So we'll see how that goes. But we, we press on. We'll, we'll see what goes on. The flip side for women's basketball, conference title, NCAA win, awful draw. I think they gave NC State all they, they could handle for, for a while there. You do what you can. Tough break. I mean, they've won 19 games in a COVID-shortened year. That's pretty impressive. I think they've had one losing season since like 2007. Jose Fernandez, again, continues to be one of the best coaches in, in USF athletics history. And he is an absolute wizard. I hope we can do anything to make him and his team happy because my goodness, has he found magic figuring out getting good international players, finding players who can come here and do a good job and work together. And the draw sucks because you could legit be a sweet 16 team, but when you have to play the number one team in the country or a top four team, you're not going to, even if you're the 16th best team, you're not going to win against the number two or number three. So it's just, is there a way for a, U, a USF team in this world, in the AAC without UConn to get a four or five or six seed to where you don't have to face a, you know, one through three seed until the sweet 16. That That's really the question I have. And I mean, this team was historically good and it just sucks that the COVID break and going through all of this, they were definitely very different afterwards. And I mean, just trying to think what early season USF women's basketball could have done in the tournament. Right. They looked amazing early on against Mississippi state against Baylor and just my goodness. And just the seed draw was just, it's a, it's an embarrassment. I mean, we, I know Colin, everybody talks about this, but like the NCAA does not treat the women's side. Like they treat that, like they treat the men's side. And it's just very obvious. I think it was very blatant this year with uh, the weight room, literally everything. Congratulations. NCAA. You just, you said the quiet part out loud about what you think about women's basketball and women's sports in general. So kudos to you. That that's just unacceptable. It, I, I, I would bet it's not going to happen again. And then I say that, and you know, volleyball wasn't going to get broadcasted with any commentators uh, for the first like three rounds. So who knows? <laughs> I just, how many times can you trip over your own feet? <laughs> like how many do they just have like a, a I'm sorry template like statement like ready and then they just like insert like the sport that they messed up because it seems like over the last month and a half that's what they've had to do. If it's not standard, the commas people definitely do because this is, has this has to happen multiple times. I mean, it's it's insane, it's outrageous. I just I can't believe that every year it just keeps happening. And then, then we're not even talking about the officiating for the women's game because good lord, Jesus, I mean. The three of us could do better. Yeah. I mean, I would just stay at mid court. I may do like a Rashid Wallace, like three point line to three point line. <laughs> I, that's probably about as much run I can do in a 40 minute period for sure. And you would still call um, a better game than, you know, some, some of these, these referees, my goodness. Yeah. I, I think I would, I think I would. It's, it's pretty uh, embarrassing to say the least. And hopefully they get that figured out. And again, it's just another thing that they need to figure out, but, 
some exciting news that we got. I think it was last week or the week before. That Ian Shea are coming back, guys. <laughs> like <laughs> the entire like outside of you know transfers that haven't you know happened yet, the entire team's coming back. Plus some other international players coming in. Like bet, run this shit back. You know, I I want to say that once you know. Betty Mononga and Shay Levert were coming back. The rest of the AAC probably were like, are you kidding me? And then like, you know, there's some transfers happening in Tulane and at uh, Cincinnati, but them coming back is insane because there was likely going to be a learning curve at the front court and they showed passion that they, they want to do this and they want to go further and they want to make this better. And honestly, kudos to them. And I, you know, I, I hope that, you know, they can, whatever graduate degree they can get will help them in the future as well, or how they can, this extra year will help them in their professional careers. Cause uh, whew, that is an amazing steal. You cannot ask for a better situation for USF women's basketball. Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy. And uh, you know, the team stayed relatively healthy this year, which was, you know, really impressive given uh, the last few years of women's basketball. And I think it was bound to happen finally. Right? I think the last three years, I think they took all their injury bad luck. And to get Betty and Shea back, you know, Beatrice Strodow, was it the Washington State game where she played it kind of out of her mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's some clutch minutes from her. It's good. It's nice to see her kind of return to form and some of the younger post players will get, you know, more experience. And I mean, I can't say enough about, about those two girls and in, in that entire roster. I'm so excited for them. I think they are the best team on campus and it, it's mm-hmm. probably not close. Betty single-handedly kept uh, there. There were some games where they were shooting ice cold, especially after the COVID break and she single-handedly kept them in games. Just, yeah. you know, reeling in offensive rebounds and just getting second chance shots. It was, it was, yeah. incredible. you know, I, I say best team on campus, but I mean, women's soccer, we'll get to women's soccer here in a minute, but they're also in the conversation for best team on campus. That's for sure. Goodness gracious. It, it's fun times ahead. I, I can assure you that. I mean, sorry, not to, not to harken on this back for a second, but the commits that USF women's basketball have coming in as well are going to sit behind Betty and Shay, And I mean, the rest of the team, I mean, I don't know how they're going to be able to score less than like 90 points a game with the amount of talent that they have on the team and everyone coming back. It's, it's going to be nuts and it's going to be fun. I mean, the expectation, and I hate to say it, the expectation is undefeated conference championship. No game within like 10 points. UCF Great. is still really, really good, but everything that Jose had to do in that and his coaching staff during all of this, especially with so many international players who haven't seen their families in eight to 10 months, if not longer, I, I just, uh, uh, it's so much kudos for them. He is the best coach on campus. They're arguably the best team on campus. Uh, just him building it from scratch. I mean, legit tears once he finally won that regular season title and also the conference title, cutting down that net, man. It was a shame that we couldn't be there because we we all would have tried to uh, we all would have been in um, Fort Worth for that for that game if we could. Absolutely. Joining us on the pod, Nick Simon. What's going on, brother? Surprise running. What's hey, going yeah. on, guys? We need to run it back man. to the WrestleMania part. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so I mean, doing hanging in there, man. You know, I, I, I do kind of want to get uh, your take. I'm glad you're you're on here. Ole Miss, I mean, you watched WrestleMania. Like, is there a shot that 
Jordan is like a legit wrestler, like in the future, or is he like more of a great colleague kind of? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what I mean. That's going to be kind of the role that they're going to put him in, you know, because I mean, he's just so damn big and with certain guys to be in like certain spots you need to have the ability to move around so he's going to be more of like an attraction sort of deal like they'll they'll build around him to like really you know situate his size and everything like that but yeah man it's it's awesome like he he held his own he did great on saturday they made him look really good you know, I'm watching, you know, it's it's cool, cool as hell. Like, you know, I'm watching Raw right now happening literally on campus at USF. And, you know, he hasn't appeared on screen yet, but that's that's really that's something that's really cool that like his first Raw as a tag champ is going to be in the place where he played basketball. That's that's awesome. What was more exciting for a USF fan? You know, Jordan winning the tag team champion ship or Hulk Hogan getting booed two nights in a row in Tampa. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> oh man, I um I I I texted Colin and Andy and them and I um I applauded them for booing booing Terry out of the building. That was that was wonderful. That was wonderful to see. But they did make sure that uh Titus O'Neill was um cheered appropriately as he should be. Man, it should have just been Titus. Like he's such an awesome guy within the Tampa community. It, it should have just been him. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, he, he just doesn't want, never mind. He's <laughs> like, how, how read the room. <laughs> like Titus was one of the guys who did not like really accept the apology. Like why, what are they doing? What? I mean, uh, just, just didn't really, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, there's so many, there's so many wrestlers from Tampa or associated with Tampa. Like you don't have to keep going back to them. And Vince McMahon, that's all that, that's all Vince, that needs to be said. Vince McMahon. My God. Uh, yeah. Mo- moving on. I, we're about to uh, get into the spring game here, Nick. Um, I want to get your, your initial thoughts of uh, you know, the, the quarterback competition. It seemed like Cade kind of ran away from it, ran away with it uh, this spring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get a chance to, you know, watch really watch the spring game, but just following along with all the reports, what you guys have been saying in Slack and everything, it seemed like Cade really separated himself. And it's crazy because when, you know, going into the spring, I thought it was going to be Jaron Williams. I thought like when, cause remember back, back in December during like all that, like signing day, hype i'm like oh man like jaron williams he's gonna be the guy you know right out the gate it's an open competition you know he's had a kind of a year in between him leaving miami to like it's gonna be open season and he's gonna step in but as you guys have been saying Cade, it, it seemed like he really gained command and control of the offense and everything so we'll we'll see like we'll see how that works out but it seems like they got a real player in him well, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, but didn't the didn't um, Seth Varnador uh, say that Cade looked good from the get go? If he could actually get on the field, yeah, and that that was the issue with Cade last year due to circumstances uh, beyond his control. Getting hurt, Tulsa game looked good that one drive, and I think he's he's really improved now. You just got to make sure his uh, injury proneness is uh, not affected because then it could just be another 
QB carousel that we've seen for the last three years. Who who knows? If Cade's healthy, he's a guy. I went to a couple practices and I, I posted in Slack. I was like, yeah, it's Cade. Like there's it's if Jaron wins this job, it something horribly went wrong with Cade. Just the control of the offense, the leadership, everything. He's he's definitely not the guy that we saw last year not complete a pass in a scrimmage. But if if the doomsday scenario does happen where he does go down, at least you're in a position where you have multiple options this time around. Right. Like Jaron may not have necessarily had the greatest spring because he's still like obviously getting caught up and like learning everything. But at least, you know, he actually has big time FBS experience as starting quarterback. Like you can turn to him, obviously, you know, McLean, he's still a raw project, but we all think he's the future. Marsh may not have necessarily played particularly well his first in his first couple of outings as a true freshman, but we anticipate he's going to come along and keep taking steps. So like there's definitely guys behind him where you feel more comfortable. Like, like if K does go down, it's like, okay, well, we're not completely screwed. You know, I, I feel like watching that spring week spring game and Jaron Williams had a really good two minute drill where he scored a touchdown at the end there. I always think a lot of these, a lot of quarterbacks sometimes with the two hand touch sack can probably you're missing out on some elusiveness there. You saw a few on McLean's draw, uh, drives too, where it's like, oh, he might have actually ran that for 25 yards, but he got two in touch. So that's what it is. Jaron Williams had that situation. So it seemed like he tried to rush some throws, but all four scholarship quarterbacks ran at least one touchdown drive. And that is incredible to me. This is the first time I feel like I've seen an offense for a spring game where it's like they're, they're getting it. Everybody is getting it. The uh, receivers are getting it. The running backs are doing what they need to do. The quarterbacks are understanding it. I like when it looks like an offense is clicking because it seems like everyone's on the same page as a unit. So, I, I mean, if, if if it's not Cade, I mean, Katravis Marsh looked really good his first drive. Uh, obviously, McLean looked really great, and he is very much the, the future. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the fall, especially with the whole summer workout session. But I personally like the way that the offense looked. And right. uh, I'm curious to think, like, does that mean, oh, what's going on with the defense? Or is that, hey, this is what happens when you have a full spring under the system and Jeff Scott knows what he's doing? Uh, and I, I've got two points there for, for you in that, that QB Derby for Jaron Williams. He hasn't been hit, tackled, sacked anything since December of 2019 because, you know, he transfers after the bowl game and then he transfers to community college who decides to have a spring season. So he goes through, you know, spring practice, nothing because of COVID, the fall season, nothing because of COVID, and then transfers to USF while the community college that he's at is now having their spring season. So he hasn't seen live rounds, so to speak, in well over a year. I think we're, by the time the season starts, it'll be almost two years before he's, you know, gets tackled. And I don't, I don't know how the coaching staff kind of mitigates that, right? Like, Hey, can, do we risk it? Like getting, hitting him once just to make sure that, you know, it's there because, you know, ring rust, so to speak, uh, is a very real thing for a quarterback and you get happy feet and you start seeing ghosts as uh, Seth always likes to say, and it's very real. He talked about it, you know, during his, 
his uh, media sessions, uh, you know, this spring that, yeah, it's, it's a big adjustment going from seeing, you know, live tackling rounds and then going a full year without it. So we'll see what happens. And then uh, the, the second part about the defense being cheeks, I don't think the spring game is any indication of a defense and or offensive line just due to how they split up the team. Plus, there were so many guys out. Dwayne Boyles played. Tony Greer didn't play. Tamar's Bellamy didn't play. Thad Mangum, unfortunately, uh, lost his father, I think, like two days before the spring game. There was a lot of people out due to injury. So it, it's it's tough to really assess how the, the defense is. I don't think we're going to really know until, luckily, NC State, September 2nd, under the bright lights in, in rally. Who's going? It's the day before. No. It's the day before Samantha's birthday, man. No shot. We're going to Marley. <laughs> I, I will double back and say that I, I personally agree with you there. That I, I'm not upset or uh, the defense made plays where they needed to. The way you split them up, I thought the way that the spring game played out was literally like my perfect world of what a spring game wants to look like, where you have situations where the offense clicks and looks great. You have certain players who are coming out and doing very good things and making plays and the defense makes stops when they need to, you know, and Andrew Stokes punting the ball like a freaking maniac. I, I, uh, I really yeah. appreciate, I honestly think that was the perfect spring game. And uh, the fact that it was televised, I was sitting here watching it and it was ex- very exciting. It was very good work by the identity Tampa Bay with that. But that, I kind of agree the de- the defense is kind of whatever. I always get a little nervous when spring offenses look off, especially when it's a, you know, consistent, Right, uh, staff, because that is a little bit concerning. But when the offense looks good for, and everyone looks good, that at least tells you the system is consistent with everybody. So that's yeah, yeah, it definitely wasn't a 2015 spring game scenario here where we're like, oh my god, this is this is going to be bad. And, and you know, hindsight being what it is, it was uh, perfectly okay. But that that 2015 spring game was brutal to say the least. So we'll see what see what happens in the future. You know, I think Xavier Weaver. Uh, is uh, close to being a star. Three catches, 97 yards, two tutties. I think he juked like four guys on the second touchdown. So that was really, really neat to see. And that's, you know, without the addition of uh, Yusuf Terry from Baylor, Demarcus uh, Gregory. Yes, Demarcus Gregory from Ole Miss, and with Jimmy Horn Jr., still not on campus yet. But there's the talent level is just so much higher than it was two years ago. All right. So, it, it's going to be very exciting to see. Quick, quick thing. Former QB quality control slash de facto recruiter for a lot of folks. Cade Bell, Kerwin's son, uh, is the OC at Tusculum College, and they just won. They won their conference. And uh, Valdosta State transfer quarterback Rogan Wells just crushing it. Former Bull Craig Watts is now at Tusculum, so he's got another championship under his belt after. Winning a national championship of Valdosta State. Wait, uh, Frank Watts still in the league? Seriously, <laughs> seriously. Jesus. That's a. I think that's a 20, 2016? I think he's a twenty sixteen yeah. recruit. Yeah, yeah. So they are South Atlantic right. Conference champs. Yeah, and they are putting up points, man. Eight Bell. So I, I think we may be. Uh, you know, it's early still, but I think we may be putting uh, the, the Kerwin Bell system in the, the Skip Holtz category of it just didn't work at USF, but works literally everywhere else. I think we're on that trajectory. 
that that was a situation where like oh you had one year and you're trying to completely change the system from a system that doesn't support uh, it's just it's again, it just didn't have the it's captain bucky all over again personnel uh exactly what can you do exactly but i wanted to get get that uh quickly in there let's see what else do we want to talk about oh the nfl drafts this month does charlie strong go his entire you know recruiting class tenure without getting someone drafted could be i i'm seeing a lot of kj sales floating around getting up there i i would I not no okay i don't see it honestly great human being i just i don't see it he could be i mean he could be an undrafted free agent and stick with the team that could definitely happen but i i don't see a team using a pick on him i really don't and it's unfortunate because he's again very good human but i don't see it I, am, am i wrong is there someone else is it him please uh enlighten me if, with your opinions there guys AJ is actually getting a lot of a lot of pre-draft hype, which is kind of typical, especially for kind of a lot of uncertainty with with some teams um, with a lot of the trades that they're going for. I, I'm hearing quite. I'm hearing like four or five teams are in, in good communication with KJ. The number one, and I, I think everyone's kind of been seeing it. Are uh, the Eagles? Um, a lot of their scouting department, yeah, a lot of their scouting department's actually looking at KJ as like a, a day three guy. Um, if the board falls the right way, pretty much a late developmental player. I, I want to say he's probably going to be a sixth or seventh round draft pick, but like you said, it, it's probably going to, if the, if the chips don't fall the right way for him, and you know, teams don't draft a lot of corners. I, I don't see it either. Same thing with Devontrez Dukes. Devontrez Dukes has had about two or three teams kind of scout with him, but not much there. Noah Johnson, maybe one of those sneaky makes the roster guys. Same thing with Mike Hampton, but for the most part, I don't. I I would be shocked if if any bull got drafted. AJ will definitely be in a camp like that's that's for oh, sure. Uh, yeah, and then you never know from there. So I was at pro day, and Noah Johnson clearly had the best day of everyone that was there. At, Noah Johnson and Marcus Norman had good days. Trey Dukes dropped like three balls, which was less than ideal. But what was really impressive with Noah is, you know, he was running routes as a receiver and showing quarterback. He was playing quarterback as well. So he would, you know, run a route and then run back, be quarterback, and then go run a route. Like he was bouncing back and forth. And I think the scouts really liked that. He just, he didn't stop. He didn't ask for, like, they kept it going. Mike Canton putting up 22 reps of 225 as a, Five nine one eighty five corner is incredible. Marcus Norman said he could put up. I think he said he put up thirty at two twenty five. So obviously Marcus Norman's not draft eligible. He he would be like a you know uh, unsigned free agent or whatever. I think he's playing for Montreal in CFL or Saskatoon or something like that. He's on their roster right now, but definitely impressed some of the scouts for sure. But I don't know. I don't see anyone getting drafted. I'll be perfectly honest. And I will say, I will say be wary of what draft networks are hyping a player up because some of them are just doing it because the uh, player DM them once. Mm. So you just got to be a little careful about where you're going. 
from this there. Is also, this is also a weird special year again with COVID. There's a lot of that when we talk about everything right. with, you know, there's no real combine and I, I, are, are players like zooming more often than having personal meetings? I, I you know, it, there's a lot of weirdness going on to where it's a very good possibility. The NFL draft goes more chalky than you think. Whereas yeah. like those, those guys who are might be under the radar don't get that chance. Cause maybe scouts didn't go to a pro day cause they can only go to a limited amount of whatever that's part of it. But I mean, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but you can see the talent based on just the amount of draft picks the programs had the past few years and, you know, thinking about now, thinking about next year, it's just kind of clicks like, Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> Who's the last guy we had drafted? I'm <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, MVS. It might've really been. Yeah. 2020, no one 2019. Actually, yeah, it is. Mark was about to that. He was like MBS. a fifth. Fifth round. Yeah. yeah. Cause Mitchell Wilcox got signed to a camp. Yeah, and he uh, he stuck with Cincinnati throughout the entire year, but they did they did just sign Thaddeus Moss on Monday. He'll be a good backup for Mitch. Yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, another guy you just want to succeed. Exactly. So we'll see. Who knows? I've been wrong like three times before, so who, you know it could be number four. But I don't see anyone getting drafted. Man, if Dukes gets drafted like in the sixth round, I swear, <laughs> dude. That'd be insane. But, I mean, Jeff Scott said he had NFL talent. I don't know if that was just to hype him up, but he did say that. Jeff Scott knows receivers. That is absolutely a thing he said. So, we'll see. Football um, football related, USF and Notre Dame signed, you know, finished out that three-game deal. Notre Dame will come to Tampa in 2029 and then go back to South Bend in 2031. So. It's a home and home. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can call it that. That's that's what I, that's how I see it. <laughs> that's like I, like I said on Twitter. Shout out to all the fourth graders and fifth graders and sixth graders who are drinking like chocolate milk out of uh, like milk cartons at lunch right now. We have no idea that they're going to be playing in the USF Notre Dame game down the road. I know. College football. football is incredible. I will say like this past year, like really peeked behind the curtain of like, oh yeah, we could totally schedule like on two weeks. Right. That's cool. But like, we're still going to do this where we're not going to schedule a game till nine years out. Like, can we just like, can we just break it down and just go, Hey, look, we know we could schedule out a year out. Let's just do that. Yeah. Really, really kind of destroyed the facade of we need to have these games scheduled five years in advance. So we'll see. That being said, shout out to Michael Kelly for uh, getting some really awesome games. I mean, yeah. I, I will say I've had people talk to me and I'm a season ticket holder and just like, Oh my gosh, you guys are playing NC state and Florida. Like that's awesome. It's a lot better to have those games on, even though they're going to be tough. People pay more attention when, you know, the program they're not invested in is playing good out of conference talent. So, I mean, shout out for that. You got series against Alabama series against Florida, still a series against Louisville. Just one more, I think one more game against NC State, home and home against Boise, Miami. Another two games after this or next year, this year with BYU. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a sick ass, uh sick ass slate, man. The next decade we're we're set. Yeah. And they're trying to reschedule the Texas game, apparently. Which just give us the one point nine million dollars, man. Just yeah. give us the money. I'd rather take the money at that point. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to go to Texas. 
Just give us the money. Either give us the money or admit you stole a hand sign. That's all we want at this point. I think that's it for football. McLean season is going to happen sooner than, than later, which is interesting because like all every quarterback has like four years left of eligibility. So we'll see how that shakes out down the road. And I think they're recruiting like two or three guys right now to the 2022 class at that position. So the kid from uh, Alabama, the kid from Alabama is coming to campus. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's happening with recruiting. I'm lost. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know what the rhyme or reason on any of this is, but I'm excited for it. Kamari Wilson season. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. Real Cindy Brown. He's a he's a five star. In case you were wondering, dear listener, bring you it. Heard it here first. Jeff's gonna get one, just one. He's gonna get one, and it's gonna it won't open the floodgates, but like there's gonna be a hole. It'll be a small trickle, but he'll get he'll get one. I I'm like seventy eight to like ninety four percent positive. He's gonna get one of these guys. Like a high, like not like a fringe three, four, like a high four or, you know, high four, low five. He's going to, he's going to snag one. I, I can taste it. Oh, so have we, doesn't want to leave home. Have we potted since the um, facilities announcement? We have not. No. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously old news at this point, but like, that's like, that's definitely going to help. Like that's, uh, yeah, just getting, just a shovel in the ground, like, that's definitely going to help propel you on the recruiting front to I, where I, you can get one of those guys. I, I will say that that's even changed some of the timbre from the, the national media on uh, saying, Hey, you find like, that was your point of saying, Oh, you're okay. You are now committing to facilities. So the minute that you get that shovel in the dirt and you're committing, all of a sudden this opens up all of this whole brand new world. So it's like, say Stephen Godfrey and move on. That's Yes. <laughs> we, love, I mean, we love we love those guys. We love those guys. They just need to pay attention more. Just not a new front door that we have. Yeah. So we'll see. It'll be uh it's gonna be fun. And you know, it was it wouldn't it wouldn't be USF, it wouldn't be a USF Pro Day if it didn't rain on the last time that they'll ever uh you know have a football related event practice or anything without an indoor practice facility. So it was a nice send off to say the least.